We finally did it. This is episode one of our new podcast, Driven by Details. Welcome to our first episode. Thank you. Thank you. It's It's been a long time coming. We're a couple months behind, but, you know, things get in the way. So <laughs> Things always get in the way. Life is crazy. Reality is uh, we've been very busy this season here, and... Originally, we wanted to get this podcast kicked off in the springtime, but we were very busy with service work, which is a great thing. And now that we are getting into fall, we're finally carving out the time to start this podcast. And for everybody watching, I just wanted to thank you guys for watching this new podcast that we're doing, Driven by Details, really stemmed from Instagram with the Coffee with Kilmer series, which we really had a lot of fun and now it has kind of morphed into this Driven by Details, and we really look forward to bringing on some guests. So are you excited, Jason? I'm, I'm super excited. Um, along this journey, we're going to learn a lot ourselves um, and our listeners and our guests. So uh, we plan having a diverse uh, group of guests from business, automotive, um, actually all things automotive, and just anything just craftsmen and, 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 you know, that might be woodworkers or that might be a baker. Um, sure. Someone that just creates something from something and, and all entrepreneurs create. Correct. Yeah. So right. So it's just meshing kind of everything together. And right. I'm excited because it's something a little bit different. It is a little different. And I also believe that um, we had a lot of fun on Coffee with Kilmer, and I don't think that that will stop, but the Driven by Details podcast will be a bit more consistent, and we're going to be bringing on guests. But before we get to all of that stuff, I really want to go back to the very, very, very beginnings because um, I think there's value there. But additionally to having value, I also think that it'll be good for our viewers, and it'll be good for us down the road to kind of go back to the beginning and listen to that story. Um, Cause I do believe that as we bring on guests and as we start talking more about what's going on in this automotive world that we live in, we're going to be bringing back a lot of the history of what led us to where we both are today. And that's what I'm kind of looking forward to. I'm looking forward to telling those stories and kind of revisiting them maybe from different perspectives. Uh, Cause you and I have both seen a lot in our uh, careers in automotive. If <laughs> that's yeah. for sure. Right. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. So really to kick off this episode one, Jason, I, I, I've heard the story before and I've heard it on different platforms and stuff, but I kind of want to get real for a minute and, and, and humble beginnings and kind of go back to your beginnings, um, how you had gotten started in automotive and really, you know, go back in time to what led you getting into cars and then what led you working on cars? I really want to hear that story, and I'd like you to tell it for our viewers. Sure. Well, for those of you that know, um, I was born with a disability. So really, my story starts there, because without my disability, I don't believe I would be where I'm at now. Sure. Uh, it shaped me. It's molded me. Um, I've had to do things differently. I've kind of had to have that entrepreneur spirit because I had to create things, processes and procedures that I could do the same thing. Right. Because I wasn't quite on the same level. Right. And, and so I was a little bit, you know, underneath, 
but to be level with the rest of society, I had to be a little bit higher. Sure. To be equal, if right. that makes sense. So I really had to push and drive. Um, uh, I've always been driven. I've always been very passionate. Um, and I've always been very motivated. Sure. Uh, there are stories in, in growing up, you know, when, when I learned how to crawl, um, you know, I, I didn't learn how to walk until I was four. Sure. I would crawl with one arm, <laughs> just like this, um, you know, and I, I would walk with orthotics and went to physical therapy. And so challenging is an understatement, but I, I rose to all those challenges um, to the best of my ability. I, I did the very best I could do. But I was so hard on myself because I wanted to be better. I bet. And, and I bet. It, it wasn't to be better than everybody else. I just wanted to be better so I could prove myself that I was worthy. Maybe give me an equal shot. Right. Right. So my drive and my passion really, you know, looking back at it, yeah, I, I wanted to prove to people. Um, that I was that I was worthy or I was good, right? Uh, it was difficult growing up, you know, learning the the school of hard knocks. You know, I was bullied as a kid, and you know the average stuff, but it was kind of magnified. I bet. Uh, for me, the the difficult part was I I knew it in my head, I could think it, but I had the physical limitations. And I that's bet. The, that's the most frustrating thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Is a lot of people with disab with disabilities and, and especially mental disabilities, you know, because there's brain damage with cerebral palsy. Sometimes they can't think it. You know, they mm -hmm. have that they have that stop sign between the brain somewhere in the brain's you know jumbled up. Well, I had all the thought process. So now you add in the physical disabilities, but I could think it. I could understand it. I could do all this in my head, but I couldn't translate it to my hands or my feet. Sure. And to me, that that is more difficult than just having. It's kind of a a mixture of both. Mm -hmm. uh, so I had to overcome a lot of challenges and a lot of obstacles. Well, I remember you saying before that you're when you were younger, your idol, I believe, was Michael Jordan. And you wanted to play basketball, right? And you weren't like you knew that that was pretty much off the table. Uh, basketball was something because of your limitation. Like, of course, you enjoyed it, but you you would have a hard time if you were to try to succeed at playing basketball. You know, my elementary years, junior high, I, I you know, I still thought I had a chance because I was pretty good at, at sports. I, I was blessed. I was, you know, the things that that I could do. Um, was better than average, but I sure. put that much more work into it. Sure. But I, I knew from an early age, I accepted what I was and who I was. Right. And that's really important to accept who you are, know right. that you have right. limitations, and be okay with your weaknesses and your strengths. Sure. Now, growing up, it's much harder. As I'm an adult now, it, it's easier to accept the challenges except mm -hmm. what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bring people like you and 
Aaron Knox and, and my buddy James and Davey P that, that, you know, have all these great qualities that I don't have. Sure. And then just mix my qualities, what I'm really good at, and we all work together as a team. Yeah. So, um, with, but being said, uh, junior high was rough. I junior bet. high was the roughest part. I think junior high is kind of rough for a lot of people, right? I mean, you're growing up, you're transitioning, you're discovering more about yourself, mm-hmm. uh, the things you like and the things you don't like. That's a, you know, you're, you're growing up, right? Yeah, but, but I, always, I always treated people with respect. Um, and I always treated other kids with respect and, and I just try to get along with everybody. I mean, even to this day, I, I can get along pretty much with anybody. I sure adjustments and move on. Right. Just because I see life from a different perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, with, especially with the challenges you had to overcome as exactly, a young man. Exactly. Exactly. But segueing. So I was into cars since I was four years old. That, I could, that, that was going to be my next question. Cause I wanted to say, when did you start getting into that stuff at four. Go on. I want to hear the story. Four years old. I mean, there is a picture um, on our Ford Monarch. It's green, single stage. And I took the old tub of uh, turtle wax, and there's a picture of me applying wax at the age of four. Right. It wasn't my dad. I just loved it. Mm -hmm. I loved anything with a big motor, uh, big tires, um, I would read Hot Rod magazines, um, you know, so most kids are, most boys are kind of pushed by their dad, you know, whether it's hunting or cars or whatever it is, golfing, whatever. Fishing. <laughs> fishing. That was, I hated fishing. Um, that wasn't the case for me. I mm-hmm. loved it. I loved every part of it. And I sure. wanted to be involved as possible. And I would actually put hot rod magazines in my textbooks. Okay. Hot rod magazines. Um, you know, and I also had learning uh, disability too in school. Okay. Uh, hard for me to learn how normal kids learn. Okay. But I was, I, I was, I also had that entrepreneurial spirit. Sure. I had that drive and I had that passion. So in a way, I was behind in certain aspects, but I was so much mature and so much further than my peers. Sure. It was kind of an awkward time to grow up because I'm like, I understand stuff at a different level, but yet the, the how the world views me is I'm way behind. Sure. Sure. And yeah, some that's... people gave me a chance and some people didn't. Yeah. It's, we're still that way today, right? <laughs> the world's no different. Maybe better, maybe worse in some ways, but, um, but so as you started, you, you were a young man, you were into cars. Um, I want to kind of know a little bit of the things that led up to you obtaining this nickname, the Sandman. I know I might be going a little fast for the podcast, but, um, out of high school, I think I remember you saying that you, you enrolled in a, uh, I don't know if it was a body shop or a technical school, school. uh, Park Technical College. I had all my credits in high school, my junior year, and I knew that I wasn't going to play sports, mm-hmm. and uh, I knew that I couldn't quite afford school. So again, it's that thought, it's that entrepreneurial thought process, right? Sure. I was thinking ten steps ahead. Right. And so I enrolled, and um, I drove to school every day and took auto body and paint, and then again 
some more challenges were brought my way. Was um, was I capable of doing this? Sure, I was. Was it different? So it was a challenge for the instructors. Oh, I bet. Because I had again, I was such a, a I tried to be such a polite kid and have a work ethic and have a drive. Right. It's really confusing for everyone else because they're like, okay, I got this great kid. He's 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 head and shoulders maturity and just drive and passion, but he, we have these physical limitations. So it's just a much as a challenge for people around me as it is for me myself. Right. So, right. You know, it's it's understanding the common goal, and um, I always like shiny cars. And I knew if I could wet sand, I would put a block in my good in my dominant hand, and I could do that. Okay. So, now, was that where did you first pick up sandpaper at, at the technical college? Is no, that? I know I, I wet sanded on a couple of rigs that I had uh, before. Okay. Uh, just again, because I was into hot rods and you know perfection of paint. Sure. Sure. And uh, similar to me. Yeah, so so I learned more and, and did some things, but again, boom, another challenge. Okay. Right. You get it sanded out or get it sanded out to the best of your ability at that time. Well, there's a thing called edges, right? Yeah. Burning edges. Well, I have no depth perception in my left eye. So there's another challenge. Sure. Okay, so that's challenge one. Right out the gate, once again. Okay. Challenge two was the rotary at that time, which we had, goes towards my right hand. Oh, boy. My hand with no very limited use and sensitivity and all this. So I had to train myself slowly. It was a long road um, to try not to make mistakes. And so do you remember the first machine you ever put in your hands? Yeah. Like, like was, was the first tool you picked up, was it a rotary? Uh, yeah, because the port of cable, um, eight mil wasn't out at that time. Okay. So, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. I bought a, I bought a Dewalt rotary eight, four, nine. Yep. Uh, with the metal cast piece that, uh, I bought it 19, I was 19 years old. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. It's a great tool. Whatever happened to it? Do you still have that thing? No, I don't know what happened to that thing. See, this is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> this is stuff I don't know. You and I have never talked about this stuff before. Yeah, so it's I, kinda... I probably could have signed it and sold it for a good amount of money. I'm putting you on the spot a little bit because there there are some some stuff that I don't really know about about the past with that yeah. stuff because um, that sounds about right. Yeah, at that time, all the DA tools I think were just air tools. There wasn't many electric uh, DAs um, around the no, time. I mean, were, yeah, were Ford Cable just I think come out with their. Uh... XP whatever or something like that serial number so yeah sure well, and didn't Porter Cable actually make a rotary in the days back back then I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking of uh, well the, no Dewalt it was uh, Dewalt had uh, there was a clone of the Dewalt yeah. buffer I think it was the Black and Decker Black one. and Decker Black and Decker yeah. so Black and Decker Snap on and the Dewalt were all the same so I don't know if Dewalt made it for everybody or Snap on made it but. Or Black and Decker, who knows? But yeah, they were they were all all the same machines. So you picked up. I mean, obviously, you were starting to learn how to buff and polish paint before sanding. So did the sanding come before learning how to take out the sanding scratches, or did you just start sanding paint and then you're like, oh boy, I, how, what do I do now? 
Well, we, we started polishing by hand with, uh, you know, terry cloth towels when I was in high school. Right. Keep my truck clean. Right. And that was red single stage and, and white single stage. Right. Uh, but yeah, I, so yeah, it, it's interesting how you actually talk about it and you go back in history of what the steps were. Uh, sure. My, my first vehicle that I, that I detailed for money was, uh, 2500 Dodge Ram. Okay. Maroon color. Sure. Had a canopy and I rotaried that thing. So we can, we can all probably assume what it looked like when I was done with it. Right. Right. It was a 3M wool pad or Meguiar's wool pad. It was 3M rubbing compound and uh, 3M machine glaze with a, a black waffle pad. I think I charged the customer 200 bucks. Sure. Sounds about right. That was about, I think. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I mean, it, and this is, this is in the nineties, right? Yeah. It was, it was 1999. Yeah. I, I love it. That's right around you and I are, are kind of, you're a few years older than me, but our, our, our stories sync up pretty much chronologically together along the time. But, yeah. um, so I want to know then, okay, that was the, you said that this was the Ram was the first vehicle that you had buffed. Um, what was the first vehicle you remember sanding? Did you like did you just dive head first into like sanding a full vehicle or was it just like no, sanding a door? We, or? Yeah, we did some spot sanding. I did a couple of show cars, uh, again, trying to prove myself and my, my, my worth uh, with the shop. And a friend of mine, uh, Rich there, helped me out tremendously. Uh, you know, so it was people along the way um, that helped, but we did some spot sanding at the collection that I worked at in Tacoma. Um, the first car that he had me on was a, a, bub a bubble top 62. Uh, Super Chevy cool. Bubble. Yeah. We spent a hundred hours on it. Yeah. We did the orange pad in one Oh five. Cause that was the most aggressive thing that we had at the time. Minus wow. the road rig. Right. And it took me, I spent a hundred hours on the paint spot sanding a couple spots. I look back at the, now I could have done that job in, a lot, a lot quicker. 15 yeah. or 16 hours, you know. So wow. It's, uh, well, that's right. What, what they, I mean, it takes, what, what 10,000 hours of mastery or more, depending on, on the craft that you're in. I mean, it's a, there's a lot of time that you spend in the beginning, I guess, maybe making mistakes or learning, right? Because that's, you, you learn by doing. So, yeah. you know, and putting your time in on, on a vehicle like that, that's a big job. Yeah, <laughs> The faster you learn, the faster you make mistakes, the better you can get. Sure. Okay, now I got a question for you. Were you at that time, so you did this vehicle, I, or how did you pick up this nickname, the Sandman? I mean, it makes sense now, but sure. I, I guess if, if you rewind going back, you know, Well, 20... before that, in, in 2000, it was Uno Flapper. That was the original nickname. And then they're like, well, we can't call you Uno Flapper. It was 2000. It was by Rich Thayer, nicknaming Uno Flapper. Uh, and then it was, um, then it was one wing. So that stuck in the hot rod segment. So I was one wing for many years. I mean, there's customers and people in the hot rod world that go show to shows and they're like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, what's your name again? What? No, I know it's one wing, but what's your real name? I love so it. San Sandman actually came from uh, my business partner, Aaron Knox. Okay. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. He nicknamed, nicknamed me the Sandman. So I don't know why I didn't know this information before. Yeah. Makes was, sense. 
2014, 2015, right before we started KKK. Sandman. I love the song, by the way, too. Sandman. That's a good one. No, that's super cool. I mean, is it is I, I know we're gonna we're gonna have a whole bunch of episodes and a lot to talk about on this podcast about sanding and about detailing and all that stuff. But I mean, what was it specifically about wet sanding that like drew you in? I know you had mentioned that you had you have you have the uh, it was easier for you to kind of focus on your one hand, but mentally, what drew you into wet sanding? It was the ultimate. When you get that ultimate gloss and that ultimate shine from sanding, not just paint correction or polishing scratches, but when you actually sand a panel or a piece or a piece of furniture or something, right, Mm -hmm. to the absolute flatness that that part or piece can be and then bring up the gloss and then scratches and swirls, that's the ultimate. It, It doesn't get any any better than that so it was proving to myself that i could do it and do it very well sure and so i could see it but i didn't know how to quite to attack certain things that makes sense yeah and, that makes and sense I got, and i got to a level where you know i'm i was the first ones to use microfiber towels from costco i mean early early 2000s um you know so and then I was the first one to use a DA in my area. And I was the first one to use a microfiber pad. And, you know, so, so all these things just come about just because I had, I had to learn how to do it. I, want, I knew what I wanted to look like. I understood right. kind of, not right. really, kind of. And I just, I just went for it. So, yeah, I mean, I, it makes sense now because, I mean, anybody that's picked up a buffer and polished paint, it's rewarding. But there okay. is a, a different, there is a different reward to having that type of added gloss and clarity at the end that is really unmatched to just something that, you know, it's been polished and protected or, you know, whatever type of fancy products were used. I mean, sanding is pretty cool. Sanding is really cool to see that type of finish and to, like you said, to push, you know, see what you can get out of it. Yeah. I mean, okay, in those days, you, I mean, how did you... I'm picturing now knowing what I what I know about sanding, and then if, definitely learning a lot more from you about sanding. But um, I'm just trying to like in my head go back in time, and think about what it was like to be working on some of these bigger cars in the late '90s and the early 2000s and edge work. I mean, how did you how did you handle like if you're sanding these cars and you're sanding right to the edge, how did you handle edge work with with the rotary stuff? Were you still then use like I know there was a lot of bigger pads, but were you switching pads and going down to small pads? Because those weren't around then. No, I, I just burned panels. I just burned edges. <laughs> that would make sense. Now that I think about it, it's all making sense. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't see the edge. So, um, you know, and no one actually said, Jason, let's figure out why you're burning edges because I'm tired of fixing your mistakes. If someone would have said that, we would have figured it out. And, and my good friend, Johnny, I'm like, Johnny, we, we got to get to the bottom of this. I said, record me on the edge of my, actually, my dad's bench. And I put the, the buffer on the edge of the bench. And he goes, well, I know why. You can't see the edge. It makes sense. I'm thinking about it now. So Super what, cool. 
Yeah, so what we did is I, I got some panels or whatever, and I intentionally got really aggressive on the edge, and we took videos and still pictures and blew it up. Wow. So I wanted to know, okay, if I move it forward into the panel, the spindle is above the edge. Wow. Okay. So if the spindle is level, I can put all the pressure on the edges and yep. that pad, unless it's a, a fiber pad, the fibers are going to, you know, tickle the edge and roll over. Right. Right. That, that yeah. was kind of the idea of, okay, now I'm finally, I don't, I should have just dove into it when I was right. Doing, right. Before I started burning all these panels. Uh, yeah, it makes wow. sense because these pads have changed a lot over the years. I mean, you know, it's like I still use, you know, big nine-inch wool pads and stuff like that, but really only when I'm doing boats. And if you think about how cars have changed over the years, it's crazy. They're smaller, right? So you, you know, have all these smaller I, pads. I did, yeah, and I didn't really understand. Looking back at it now, I didn't really understand body panels like shapes. Like mm -hmm. I preach it, you know, over and over every class. It's just shapes. It's just shapes. It's just shapes. Mm -hmm nobody taught me really taught me that sure not really yes but no um you know so it's so simplistic right no one nobody, no one simplified it for you nobody simplified it for me because the way my brain works i need it simple sure i need to, I need to read it i need to do it over and over and over yeah and over. so right. when i listen to an audiobook i'll have to read i'll have to listen to the audiobook four or five times Sure. Before I can f fully comprehend it. So it takes me a lot longer, and people just don't, you know, and I understand, people just generally don't have the patience for that. Right, right. No, that makes sense. I mean, it's, I said it before, and I'm going to say it a, a bunch of times, but you learn by doing. And so um, similar to, you know, to pretty much any craft or any art, you just got to have time, you know, behind the, the buffer, time, time working on this stuff. Edge work is tough, and I it's it's super cool to see how far this industry has actually come. But well, that's that's another thing. The cars now that we're doing are far better than what we were doing back then. Sure, yeah, they're bigger. You know, I'm thinking about. <laughs> I remember one of the first cars I sanded all the way was a '68 uh, Galaxy. It was a guy that uh, I played music with. He was an older older bass player. And, and I knew I could make it look better. And, and I remember I didn't have a DA then, and I hand sanded the tops because they were super oxidized. Yeah. I remember that thing being at the house for a long time, and I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm never sanding a car again. <laughs> so I took a pause from sanding for a long time. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's super cool to go back, right, for going back and thinking about how the things that led us into this industry, but additionally the things that kind of, kept pulling us into the industry right because some people you know you get started and then another door opens and you you kind of find your path but i still think it's cool that all, after all this time you're still you're still working inside the industry and there's obviously a passion for it right yeah it's just a different passion now it's it's i still like perfect paint but i realize that i'm getting older now right and yeah uh, you know my body's yeah. wearing out my my yeah. eyes are, are not as sharp as they used to be right um, so it's just realizing again to pivot sure. not to necessarily get out of it but to pivot and really teach um 
people what I know. What I mean, I, I've experienced things that no other detailer has. So on that note with teaching, I want you to talk. Uh, I know I've heard you talk about it before, and we've we've talked about it a little bit, and I don't. I don't know the whole story, but you worked with Griot's Garage for, okay. for quite some time, right? And that's kind of, if I remember correctly, the story, that's the thing that really pulled you into training? Yeah, yeah. We, we, I started hanging out around at Griot's Garage, uh, really learning their product line and, and working with people around that area. And, um, yeah, we started training. I'd just show up on the weekends when they would do tech sessions. Okay. And for different car clubs and individuals and, and such like that right so they, would they have like you you would go in and and show the guys how to use the tools or how did yeah. that how did that the come tools. to be um i looked at i i watched a couple of uh, tech sessions but as a student just okay observing and i'm like live like they were live tech sessions not yeah. on a okay yeah. and i was like i could do that that looks fun sure and sure so we started teaching and then I started to have more of a role at Griot's and doing cards on the side and then working at that collection at the same time. So I was I was very involved in the local car scene. Everybody knew who I was. At That's super cool. And that, I mean, having a, like a, a close-knit tribe of people that, you know, they all talk to each other, you know. And I, I mean, it's a lot, there's a lot more, it's easier now because of social media. You know, back then it was it wasn't as popular, but the, the having that tribe of car people, that's it really. You know, your name can spread pretty quick, right? Yeah, and it did. I mean, it, it spread very fast, and I was doing every high end car in the area, working for ninety percent of the builders, um, and then I started to travel. Um, sure. And do cars for other builders or help them out. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it just exploded very quickly. I could um, see it. And I, I was able to work on some very high-end, very expensive cars. Sure, sure. And so I, Think about now, I'm like, man, I didn't know what I was thinking, and I didn't even know what I was doing. I mean, compared yeah. to what I know now. Sure. Um, Time on the job. Years yeah. have passed and feathers in the caps. <laughs> if you would have asked me now, if you would have let 26 year old Jason do that, I would have said, no, you're not ready. Kid. You got a lot to learn, but Hey, I was in the right place at the right time with the right attitude. That's uh, super cool, dude. That's super awesome. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, it's finding your passion and, and sticking with it. I remember I, I, an old customer of mine always said that, you know, the, a lot of people are looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow quickly and if you stick with stuff you know over time you'll find success and it doesn't mean that there's not pitfalls and stuff along the way gosh we've all had plenty of those but um right so t uh, tell me additionally i want to know i remember you saying something or hearing you talk about it before about um a specific vehicle that, that won the riddler award and you had a, a gazillion hours into it i don't know it was uh it was it was a couple hundred hours can you tell me about that what was it was um, 2008. Uh, it was for a company called Diver Street Bug. Uh, it was a Ferrari-powered station wagon. And, awesome. Uh, every part, every piece was, you know, 
done to absolute almost perfection. I mean, there's no such thing wow. as perfection, but we did the very best we knew how to do at that time. Sure. And, uh, you know, I was on and off the project. Um, you know, they bring me in for a couple months or a month or a couple weeks, and then I, you know, leave and then come back as more parts were being processed and ready for me to work on. And sure. I would, I would finish one part and I would put it away and grab the next part or piece and keep on going. Cool. That's super awesome. Yeah, that's, I mean, but how many hours did you have into this thing? I thought I remember you saying something was like three or 400 hours that was totally oh, into yeah, that car. Probably more than that. I mean, that's insane. Not even sand a lot. I just sanded the small parts. Okay. You know, um, and my friend took care of the, the majority of the sanding on the, on the bulk of the parts. Okay. Um, so I don't even know how many hours. I just know that I stopped polishing it when it went in the trailer. That's funny. So, 2008, San Ferrari. Mm -hmm. What was the next big project that you remember? Do you remember what was after that? We won Pebble Beach that same year. Wow. And it was in 2000. Was, this is 2008. It's crazy. 2008. I, I, it might be 2006. It might be 2000. I think it was 2008. It doesn't matter. I mean, I touched both those cars, so it's cool. But, uh, yeah, I'm just laughing that. in my head thinking about how fast time is going by. Yeah, to do that in the same year, I mean, that's like the best of the best on both worlds. Like, it just doesn't get any better than that. And, and it wasn't me. I was just at the right place at the right time with the right attitude. Sure. It's I mean, that's kind of... It certainly wasn't my skill set, I'll tell you that. Well, I think it's kind of like everything else in life. Timing plays a big piece. And, and you're right. Having the right attitude, you know, it opens up other doors and... Being around, the, like you're talking, that knit of car enthusiasts, you know, people start talking to one another. Before you know it, you start doing lots of jobs, and it's just it's time on the job, right? Putting in your time. Um, all right, so before we get super carried away and we start losing track of time, I want to know a little bit then, did all this stuff, started getting into doing Riddler cars and the Pebble Beach stuff, but then... What are some of the things that led up to you being a partner with the KXK Dynamics crew? Okay. So I'm going to back up just lightly because at that okay. point I was still in the body body shop and custom world. Well, the, the detailing world, really, they kind of heard of who I was, but not really. That's where the Phantom Polisher nickname came out. Okay. From Christopher Brown. And we were doing an article for Rod and Custom. All right. Polished image detailing. And I reached out to Kevin Brown at buckdaddy.com, and I reached out to Jason Rose if they could help or sponsor or proofread an article. Um, you know, we did 13 pages. Of oh, that's Lily. awesome. I don't think I've ever heard this story. Yeah, it's, you can look on. It's online. Uh, so we did 13 full pages, and when that was released – that second month, the Riddler car, Checkered Past, was in the same issue. Super awesome. So that, that was my introduction to the detailing industry. Kind okay. Of, they knew who I was, but no, not, not concrete. Well, so, so, but the detailing industry at that time was starting to, this is still starting to really gain momentum, right? Because it's really taken off in the last decade. So this is kind of right... Oh, when oh it, sanding, sanding in the detailing industry wasn't really even acceptable. Right, right. 
uh, I pretty much broke that mold. <laughs> I love it. Because it was like not, it wasn't the correct thing to do. It wasn't the right thing to do, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so I definitely had a big part in where we're at now, whether sure. directly or indirectly. So it's perfect. So this is then leading us up to KXK. So yeah. you break, you break the mold or you break the, uh, the idea that you can't stand in the detailing industry. And then you guys just decide to start KXK. Well, you know, before that, once again, I started making sanding block. All right. And it's really funny story. So we, uh, me and my girlfriend time, my wife now, Megan, we were uh, shopping at Hobby Lobby. And for our wedding, she was getting decorations and things like that. And I'm like, whatever. So I, I take off down the aisles. I'm just walking, looking at stuff. Again, my brain just is like, you know, always thinking, always, you know, I stop. I look at this foam and I'm like, what if I put this foam on the acrylic blocks we use? When I have a, a true, de true density of different materials combined into one. Sure. That was 2013. Okay. I was the first person that I knew of that actually produced other than foam sanding blocks, the Meguiars, the, tr the uh, uh, black and blue blocks, the gray and black blocks, but sure. there was foam. So I started producing these sanding blocks. Awesome. Well, I met uh, Andy Ward through Corey Carruth of CarPro, and I started training him and, and kind of mentoring him back, back in 2014. All right. And uh, we did we did a class back in Florida, up in Tampa, and uh, I was friends with him ever since. And that's he met Aaron Knox at a Verge, which is the Car Pro you know event of the year. Right, and so right, the annual event. Other. Yeah, and then Andy was like, "Yeah, this crazy kid Kilmer that taught me, he's he's a nut job, and he sands this and he sands that." So we all kind of just started talking and, you know, talking about theories and doing, hey, if what if you do this, you mix this with this and you put a spritz of this on and start buffing and polishing. And all the that. mad scientists you guys are. Yeah, <laughs> we really try to push the envelope. And then uh, so well, it yeah, drives so, innovation, right? Yeah. So we were at SEMA. And uh, a gentleman came up to me and said, I want 500 sets of blocks. And I'm like, 500 sets? That. Yeah, I want 500 sets. I'm like, okay. So, so a couple weeks later, Andy calls me up and says, hey, you want to start a company? With who? With that guy Aaron Knox you met. Sure. And uh, I said, well, good, because someone just asked for 500 sets of blocks, and I can't produce those by myself. That's super cool. So we, uh, we were in Miami. I was with Andy working on a Ferrari, a couple okay. Ferraris, Mercedes. And there was a little, a little scratch. Well, what I would do is I would take all the cutoffs on my custom blocks that I would build at home right. and put them in the box. Mm-hmm. Well, I had one of these and I was, I touched a, a spot up on a Ferrari and I was nibbing it, you know, sanding it. 
And Aaron goes, I got it. We'll call it the rib stick. So that was the, the smallest, it is the smallest production sanding block still. And that That's was awesome. the first, because I knew if I could create something small enough <clears throat> that the average person can kind of wrap their head around. Yeah. You know, big old block. It's less right. threatening, right? It's, it, yeah. it's a little more acceptable in your that mind. That makes sense. Yeah. Plus, the, not to mention the manufacturing challenges, because once you go smaller, those are dissimilar materials, so they don't really like to bond together. So that was a challenge. Oh, I so bet. I think we spent 18 months in, in development of different wow. acrylics and different glues. And I mean, I, I don't even know how many. That's awesome. combinations. And so now you guys have, see, have more tools. I really feel like my favorite thing I have to tell you from KXK is definitely the punch out kit. Super cool. Kit. Yeah, people people love them, and that that was out of necessity because Andy Ward was so mad that McGuire's discontinued discontinued the three inch microfiber. Sure. Um, he was he started punching six inch microfiber discs, and so yeah, that's how the punch kit was developed. It's I not definitely. a new con not not a new concept though. Uh, no, I, I I mean, but it's still super cool because. Punching out sandpaper, punching out all buffing pads. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense having that around. Yeah. So, yeah. I it's, really love those. One popular product. Super great. So then, okay. All this time, now we've almost come a full decade from the Pebble Beach stuff. Because it's crazy to think, like when you just said, when you were doing this stuff, this was 2013, 2014. That's almost 10 years ago. Well, we did the first Pebble car on first river back in 2008 wow wow time is yeah. flying by jason kilmer and time is also flying by on this episode That's and uh i want to i want to kind of keep going here a little bit before we wrap up getting to know a little bit about your backstory but um additionally you have talked in these these last these last couple years since covid you've been doing a lot i don't say a lot more training but your focus, your core focus is kind of shifted into doing more trainings. And I want you to tell us about that. Sure. So we, um, training is of course my passion. I, I think I figured that out a long time ago, but I wasn't really sure how to go forward with it. Um, so a good friend of mine and yours, um, David Patterson was like, Hey, let's do a training program, like a legitimate training program, but something that's different something that doesn't really revolve around one person or one company or one manufacturer, but encompasses everything yep. all into one. So again, with, with COVID happening, you know, we, we've had slow traction and, uh, but we're trying to really hone in on that program now and really get it going. Sure. Um, I think, you know, COVID's kind of behind us and things are moving hopefully in the right direction. Sure. Um, so it's revisiting that and really putting a solid game plan together and, and just to help out fellow detailers. Sure. Yeah. And I've, I've definitely had the luxury to, to work beside you on a few trainings and you're definitely a star quarterback in a lot of ways. I've seen you in the 11th hour tired and maybe a little behind, but when you're in front of people, you just snap right into it and you're, yeah. you're really good at it. So um, I'm looking forward to doing more of that stuff with you and more of these podcasts because we're really just getting going. The 
Coffee with Kilmer, which we'll still do some series with those on the Instagram. And with it's kind of changed uh, our mindsets a little bit too into morphing into this driven by details uh, as we're choosing that tagline, the stories behind the shine, because there's a lot there's a lot of lessons inside some of the past for you and for myself. And I think when we start bringing in guests and start putting all those parts together, uh, it'll continue to kind of grow that tribal knowledge. And the people that are listening to this podcast, hopefully we'll gain some information and um, hopefully we can help some more uh, detailers and entrepreneurs and, you know, uh, passionate detail people out because it's something that we're, that's brought us to this point. So I'm excited. I'm excited about, about the podcast and there's, there's been a lot of requests, um, about training over, over the last two years. And I think that this podcast will help be the vehicle to get some more attention from, um, from the listening community. Would you agree? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's truly, I think it's the funnel that will drive the, it will be the driving force of we have an idea what people are looking for. Me and you have been around, actually, both opposite ends of the spectrum and sure. everywhere in between. Right. Um, so it's really understanding, uh, you know, the landscape and of what detailers struggle with. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of it's a mind a game. Of, there's a lot of common things that they struggle with, so we're going to try our best to... Uh, to hit all those points and sure that's sure really the main focus of this uh of this podcast is really focus in on what you're good at what you're not good at but and have certain guests on that have have the same pains have the same struggles you know and it's just getting it out there and open that just because you have struggles have so does everybody else and it's sure. probably very this is true just getting it all, all out in the open and I think once that happens it opens a network of community and uh, you know that's when things really start to change and, and really happen hopefully for the positive absolutely well I'm I'm looking forward to doing more of these podcasts I want to try and keep them in the 45 minutes to an hour I'm sure once we get some certain guests on we'll probably go over that limit a little bit but um, I am looking forward to doing more of these and for everybody watching today, I appreciate you guys tuning in. We will see you guys on our next episode, Driven by Details, the stories behind the shine. Uh, Jason, it's been fun. I look Always. forward to the next episode, and we'll see you real soon. Thanks, guys. Boom. 47 minutes. That was pretty good, yeah. 47 minutes, buddy. I'm going to stop it right now. Okay. Stop.